Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I Can Do mindset. Life is what you put into it. Get the most you can. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. Whenever you start thinking about death, or if someone dies, a common question that people have is, how did they die? I got a text message earlier this week about someone that uh, we know who lost a loved one, and it was told to me how they died. Uh, They had committed suicide. And this sermon is not about suicide, but I do always want to encourage us. That's, That's never the answer. Uh, There's always another option, there's always another choice, and there's always hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. Yet sadly, many people turn to that path. But how did they die? How did he die? Or how did she die? What happened? That's a question that many people often ask. I've been blessed to be able to preach full-time since 2009, and I think I've been to a funeral in some shape or form, whether um, speaking at it or just being a part of it in the audience, I think every year since 2009. And those are questions people want to know. What happened? Well, I'm bringing this up because as you think about our theme from Romans chapter 6, we've been talking about this year how we are freed from sin. And as a result of that, we are now servants to God. We have had Bible classes talking about overcoming sin and how we can overcome sin and how we can grow stronger in our faith and how we should be living more for Jesus Christ. We've seen in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in our Bible classes about overcoming sin and the expectations that God has for his people. And as you think about this theme, something that we have to be comfortable talking about is death. Death is a part of this theme. You look at Romans chapter 6 and you will find death mentioned over and over again. Paul will remind us in Romans chapter 6 that we have died to sin. That we have been baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. And so this idea or concept of death is something that we need to be comfortable talking about. And this morning, I want to talk about a particular death. I want us to go back to the cross of Jesus Christ, and I want us to look at the crucifixion of Jesus. Because when we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, we will be reminded about so many things. And this question of how did he or she die, well, this question has been answered for us. How did Jesus die? Well, we know the answer to that. Why did Jesus die? We know the answer to that as well. And yet it is something that we can never forget. We take the Lord's Supper each first day of the week to remember the sacrifice and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And yet we need to continue to go back to the old rugged cross. And so I will challenge you to do a couple of things. Young people, I, I want to encourage you to take notes. And I want to encourage you to follow along. If you have your Bible, open up your Bibles. We're going to be studying today from the Word of God. And I also want everyone to think about, if someone were to ask you, share with me the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. What is it that you would want to share? What details come to mind when you start thinking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? 
we constantly need to go back to the old rugged cross because we understand the power of God and the wisdom of God that was on display when Jesus died. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul spoke about this fact, that he preached Jesus Christ crucified. He would say in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both the Jews and the Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so as we study the crucifixion of Jesus, we will see the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we need to know what happened on the cross and the details surrounding this event. But not just details but how our lives are going to be changed because we have been freed from sin because of the death of Christ. And now we should be living in a different manner. So let's take a look. Study along with me, please. I want to first begin by thinking about this word as we think about crucifixion. What is this idea of of crucifixion? What does this mean? Well, a couple of thoughts. I want you to look at John chapter 19. It was in John chapter 19 where the Jews began to to cry out to crucify Jesus Christ. Jesus had finished speaking to his apostles in John uh, chapter 13 through 17. And eventually he's going to be led away. And I want you to notice in John chapter 19 and verse number 1, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Take note of that. Pilate said there is nothing wrong that this man has done. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. It was the Jews who were crying out, crucify, crucify him. And this idea to crucify means to impel on a cross or stake and driven down with stakes to destroy, to execute on a cross. We see this language. When you think about Roman crucifixion during this time, it was something that would be done in public, and this is what we find in the Scriptures. In Romans chapter 3 and verse number 25, we read about uh, uh, where uh, Paul talks about God and what he did with respect to Jesus. In Romans 3 and verse number 25, the Bible says, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This crucifixion where Jesus is going to be nailed to the cross and killed and executed, it was going to be a public execution. And you have this kind of language of this death that he was going to experience. Look over in Luke 23, verse number 32. In Luke chapter 23 and verse number 32, and we'll be in the Gospels quite a bit this morning. Uh, Notice what it says here. Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. So when you think about the cross, you think about crucifixion, the purpose of it was to kill. The purpose of it was to execute a person. It would be a horrendous kind of death. Look over in Acts chapter 13 where Paul was preaching and Paul speaks about the crucifixion of Jesus. And I just 
just want you to notice this language here. I'm reading from the New American Translation. In Acts 13 and verse number 28, the Bible says, And though they found no ground for putting him to death. Remember what Pilate said. This man is not guilty. He has done nothing wrong. Though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And so as you think about the crucifixion, when one was crucified, they would be put to death in a horrendous fashion, in a public manner. It was an execution. And nails would have been driven down his hands and his feet. We read in the Psalms, look over in Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22, where we find some passages here speaking about the suffering Messiah. And Psalm 22, beginning in verse number 16, the Bible says, For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones, they look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Well, the New Testament writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, would use Psalm chapter 22 as they spoke about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And one would eventually die because of exhaustion or not being able to breathe. And so this kind of death was a horrendous way to die. And yet that's exactly the kind of death that our Savior experienced. When you go back to the cross, it's not a pretty picture. This slide is a pretty picture, but it was not a pretty picture when you go back to the old rugged cross. They would lay you down, I think, on the cross, nail you to that cross, lift you up, and then obviously after you died, well, they would take you down. And that's exactly what we find in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 29, where the Bible says, When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross And laid him in a tomb. Jesus experienced a horrendous kind of death. And while there were two criminals on either side of him who also died with crucifixion, that was deserving for them. It was not deserving for Christ. And his death was more than just a death. It was to pay and to redeem us from our sins. Go back to Acts 13 and verse 29. Notice the language here again. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him. I think that's talking about prophecy. The prophets spoke about the crucifixion of Christ and what the Messiah, the suffering Messiah, would go through. And we saw a glimpse of it in Psalm chapter 22. And I want to go back to Psalm chapter 22. And I want you to notice how, again, the psalmist spoke about what Jesus was going to endure. And we see this fulfilled when Jesus was on the cross. In Psalm chapter 22 and verse number 1, notice the intensity of the pain, the physical pain, the emotional pain, where Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Well, Jesus would say that on the cross. That was one of the statements that he made when he was on the cross, where he cried out. Now, there are a couple of thoughts with respect to what he meant by this. One thought is Jesus was quoting this and that this would be a way for the Jews to understand that he was fulfilling Psalm chapter 22. We also understand that in John 16 and verse number 32, Jesus said, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father 
is with me. So Jesus understood that the Father was with him, and yet we see this intense pain and agony that he endured while he was on the cross. Later on in Psalm chapter 22 and verses 6 through 8, notice what the Bible says here. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Now let's read Matthew 27 together, please. Matthew chapter 27. We see this happening. We see this fulfillment of prophecy when Jesus was on the cross. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he not only had to endure the pain of the cross and his pain would have been even worse because they put a crown of thorns on his head. But he's also receiving these comments from people. In Matthew 27 and verse number 39, And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He could not save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Listen to what he said in verse 43 or what they said. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. Well, that's Psalm chapter 22. And we see, again, this fulfillment of prophecy. So the Old Testament prophets, they spoke about the suffering Messiah, the intensity of pain, the abuse that he was going to experience. Isaiah also spoke about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah gives us insight as well as to why Jesus died, what was being accomplished on the cross. He did not die for our sins. So why was he dying? Well, he was dying for, let me repeat that, he did not die for his sins, so why was he dying? Why was he on the cross? Because he was dying for our sins, to pay the price for our sins, to appease the Father. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, But he was pierced through for our transgressions or wounded. Yes, he was wounded with the stripes that he received when he was beaten before he was on the cross. And he was pierced again when he was on the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. He died for our sins. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. You see, the only way that we could be healed or set free from sin, delivered, forgiven, reconciled to our God, justified in the eyes of God, would be through the sacrifice of Jesus. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. See, that's why he died on the cross. His death was not because he committed sin, but rather to pay the price for our sins. And so when you think about the crucifixion of Jesus, the prophets spoke about the intensity and agony of his pain, but they also spoke about what was being accomplished. And the prophets are very clear in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 8, by oppression and judgment, 
he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Isaiah is speaking about the fact that Jesus died. He was cut. He was taken away. He was cut off out of the land of the living. And this is so important. I was I have a copy of the Quran in my Bible. I'm not advocating the Quran. Uh, I do not believe it is scripture, but I began looking at it some. And it's interesting because in there they talk about how Jesus didn't die on the cross. Well, Isaiah just said that he did die on the cross. And both books cannot be right. Isaiah said that he was cut off from the land of the living. And we're going to see that Jesus indeed died on the cross. This wasn't just him being on the cross for a few hours and then getting off the cross and continuing on. He died. You don't bury a man who is alive. You bury a man who is dead. And Isaiah spoke about the fact that he would die. And men like Zacharias spoke about the, 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 what he would experience on the cross. Look over in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10. In Zechariah chapter 12, this is actually quoted in John's gospel in Zechariah chapter 12. And I want you to notice what Zechariah has to say here. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number Verse number 10, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Well, that's exactly where John quoted from. In John chapter 19, when Jesus was on the cross and when he died, the Bible says, and again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So the prophets, and they they spoke about the suffering of Christ. They spoke about the fact that he died. They spoke about why he had to die and what he would endure on the cross. That's what the prophets spoke about. Now, what did Jesus say about his own crucifixion. Let's look in the Gospels, beginning in John chapter 2. Jesus spoke about the fact that he too would die. Uh, Jesus was not surprised when all of these events happened. He knew that this was something that was going to eventually take place. In John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 18, John 2 and verse 18, the Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Earlier, he had made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple because of what they were doing in in the temple. And so now they're asking him, okay, where do you get your authority to do this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So a couple of thoughts here. Number one, Jesus was already talking about the fact that he would die and that he would also be raised back to life. And that's an important point because the crucifixion is not the end of the story. 
It's a vital part of the story, but it's not the end. Because if he was not raised, then we would be dead in our sins and without hope. But Jesus, early on in his ministry, spoke about the fact that he would be destroyed or that his body would be killed. He spoke about how he would lay down his life. This is something that he was willing to do on our behalf. In John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, earlier Jesus had talked about how he is the door and how he is the shepherd. And later on, he's going to talk about how he is the way. And here in John chapter 10 and verse number 17 and 18, Jesus said, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. He said, I lay it down. So Jesus was willing to do this. He was willing to lay down his life and at the same time, take it back up. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. That is where we find the love of Christ. This sacrifice that he's about to endure, I'm willing to go through this. I'm going to do this for you. I'm doing this. And I'm going to please the Father. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So Jesus, he is obeying his Father. He's making this sacrifice willingly. And he spoke about this fact, about what would take place on the cross. And he talked about his suffering. And whenever you start talking about suffering, this is where it can get really uncomfortable. Is this really the plan of God? This doesn't seem to make sense. Why would the Messiah have to go through so much suffering? Well, Jesus had to have this conversation with some of his apostles. Remember in Matthew 16, he'd asked his disciples, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And they responded, Peter responded, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Look at what is, look at what Jesus said in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. That's where he would die and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside. (laughs) This is so interesting. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, on one hand, that's interesting because it appears that Peter had some kind of um, concern for Jesus. That he cared about Jesus, right? This can't happen to you. You're the son of the living God. But notice how Jesus responded. Because there is something underlying this or underneath all of this. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow, that seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Well, not at all. Not when you understand the consequences that were at stake. Not when we understand that Jesus fully understood what he was doing. And that was what Peter needed to understand. And even Peter had a hard time with this because what does Peter do as Jesus is being led to the cross? He lies about his relationship. Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. I don't think he was literally, Satan was literally inside him. But Peter was thinking like Satan Trying to be some kind of stumbling block. You're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interests but man's. And that is a great point of application for us. 
The application slide comes at the very end. But why don't we add something here right now? Where is our mind? Is it on the things of God or man? You think about Christianity. If you're gonna, if you're a Christian, we're going to suffer. And as we talk to people about Christianity, we have to talk about the suffering servant. We have to talk about being weak. That was the problem with the Corinthians. They saw Paul. We Paul, your ministry and the way that you conduct yourself, you're weak and you're suffering. Is this really what Christianity is all about? Paul said, yes, because I'm following in the footsteps of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Christianity is not about becoming a millionaire, having a huge following, or having every moment of your life exactly the way that you want it. Jesus suffered, sacrificed. We will have to do the same. I'm not saying that Christianity is bad. Because even when we are weak, we are made strong through him. What I am saying, though, is like Peter, sometimes our perspective of how things should be are just simply wrong. And that's why we need to go back to the cross. Because in the cross, we see the power of God, the wisdom of God. But so many people see this as foolish or this is something I don't want to experience. And sometimes we can fall into this as well. Jesus spoke about the fact that he was going to suffer greatly. And he's going to tell the disciples later on. I'm still here, so let's just look at the next verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So now he's telling them, I'm taking up my cross. You're going to have to do the same thing. You will have to deny self. Just as I am going to take up my cross, you must do the same. Every day, this is a decision we have to make. And so he spoke about his suffering. And he spoke about being lifted up. In John chapter 3, being lifted up on the cross. And how he was going to be this source of salvation. In John chapter 3, Jesus, in the middle of the night, was speaking to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And the Gospel of John shows us a great conversion story, if you will, of Nicodemus and how he starts off in the night. He doesn't want anyone else to know about him talking to Jesus. Then he starts to stand up for Jesus in John chapter 17. Then he's going to be involved at the end of the gospel of John, where you see Nicodemus slowly but surely becoming this disciple of Jesus. Well, Jesus is talking to him and trying to help him to see you must be born again if you're going to enter and see the kingdom of heaven, if you're going to be a child of God. And Jesus said, if I told you, verse 12, earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's John chapter 1. The Son of Man became flesh and dwelt among man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in Numbers chapter 21 in the wilderness, those who would gaze or look upon the serpent, well, they would be the ones that would be saved. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son, even so must the son of man be lifted up. He's talking about his sacrifice so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. And he gives commentary on this idea of being lifted up in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12 and verse number 31, 
John chapter 12 and verse number 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan. And judgment that was going to happen. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying, listen to what John says. He was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. So he spoke about his suffering. He spoke about his body being destroyed. And he even foretold, I know I'm going to be crucified. I know I'm going to be hung on a tree. He spoke about all of this in his ministry. And when you go back to John 3, many of us can quote John 3 and verse 16. He spoke about the fact that his father sent him and the love that is a part of the crucifixion story. And John 3 and verse number 16, continuing on with that conversation with Nicodemus, he would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So when you think about the cross, you need to think about the love of God. When we ever start wondering and doubting about whether or not God loves me or you or us, the crucifixion gives us an answer every single time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is what we can see when we look at the old rugged cross. And that's what Jesus spoke about. And so think about this. We've seen what the prophet said, what Jesus said. What other additional details might we give someone about what happened on the cross? What would you want to add? You could tell them about what David prophesied, Isaiah, Zechariah, and others. What Jesus said. I find it fascinating to look at all the surrounding details of what happened when Jesus was on the cross. Let me show you some. Where was it? Where Jesus already said that he had to go to Jerusalem. And we know that this crucifixion would take place outside of the city walls. A Hebrew writer talks about this in Hebrews 13, verses 11 and 12. In Hebrews 13, actually verse uh, number 13, or verse number 13. But we'll start in verse number 12. Actually, we'll start in verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place, talking about what happened in that first covenant, by the high priest as an offering for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his blood. We see again, why did he die? Why did he have to shed his blood? Suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his Reproach. There's a whole sermon right there. But it helps us to see where this sacrifice would be made. Just as it was with those animals outside of the camp. It was Jesus who was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world who would be crucified outside of the city. John in John chapter 19 and verse number 17 gives us some additional details. They took Jesus therefore and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. That's where he would be crucified. We know where he was crucified, and we know when he was crucified. John chapter 19, we can stay in the same chapter, in verse number 14. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they're going to keep on crying out, Crucify him, crucify him. 
In verse 31, Jesus by this time, in verse 31, had been on the cross. The Jews, because it was a day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So we know that Jesus was put on that cross on a Friday. He was put on that cross on a Friday, and he would die on that day as well. We also know the time frame about when he was put on the cross. It would have been about 9 a.m. in the morning. In Mark chapter 15, turn over there, Mark gives us some additional details in verse number 25. Mark chapter 15, verse number 25, the Bible says it was a, it was the third hour when they crucified him. So the Holy Spirit gives us these details. These are not things that are not really a big deal that we shouldn't be concerned about. No. All of these details are significant as we think about the sacrifice of Jesus. And we know that if he was on the cross from about the third hour and it would be dark between the sixth and the ninth hour, that Jesus is going to be on the cross for about six hours. Six hours of agony, of pain, of humiliation. Six hours. Matthew 27 and verse 45. Now from the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Folks, that does not happen in the middle of the day. It became dark for three hours. That's not an accident. I believe that would be miraculous. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Two NFL games will last about six hours. Driving to southeast Texas will last about six hours. Binging on a Netflix TV show, you can probably get a whole season done in maybe six hours. Think about this. If we leave this building today at 12 p.m., I want you to think about this. And what you do between 12 and 6, and think about how your Savior, my Savior, stripped of his clothes, beaten and alone, hung on that cross, six long hours. These details should move us. That was what crucifixion was all about. Long, agonizing death. And they would break the legs to speed up the process. But for Jesus, his legs did not have to be broken because he had already died. Six long hours. Think about that today. He would have died shortly afterwards. Later on in the same chapter, verse number 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit after those six long hours. These details matter. The Holy Spirit has included them and we need to know them. There's more. What did people say about Jesus when he was on the cross? For those six long hours. We've already talked about it a little bit. 
But there's some fascinating statements from people that you wouldn't think about. For example, Pilate in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 22. Pilate said to them, talking to the Jews, Then what shall I do with Jesus? They wanted to release Barabbas, who was called Christ. They all said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. Even Pilate, of all people, knew, why are you trying to kill an innocent man? But see, the people had it in their hearts. They were wicked. They were stubborn, just like they killed Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And we already saw this, but we'll read it again. They, they, they abused him with their insults. You're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Isn't it interesting they remember some of his teaching? They remember his teaching from John chapter 2. Oh, you said you're going to rebuild the temple in three days. Let's see it in action, buddy. Save yourself. I dare you. You're the son of God. Come down from the cross. There was no mercy. There was no love. There was no forgiveness from these people. Just brutal wickedness. Even those who claim to be followers of God, the religious elite, sons of Abraham. No, we know who you are, Jesus. Let's see what you can do. We know what the Psalms say. Let's see if you can fulfill those Psalms then. They abused him as well with their words. The robbers of all people, how dare them talk to Jesus <laughs> the way they did, but they did too. In verse 44, the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Why are they doing that? They're robbers. But that's what people do. They lash out. We don't know what to do, so we just lash out at people. Thankfully, one of them came to his senses. And thankfully, he would be in paradise with Jesus after they died on the cross. But before that, both of them were attacking Jesus. And after his death, what's fascinating, of all the people a Gentile had enough sense to understand, no, there's someone or something special about this man. Pilate, a Gentile, and now the centurion, they could see the truth. But the Jews, the very people of God, could not see the truth. In Luke 23, in verse number 47, after Jesus had died, the Bible says, Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. He understood that Jesus was innocent. As these amazing events would occur. And all the crowds, verse 48, who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. Even people like the centurion could see that Jesus was innocent. There's one that I left off in uh, Matthew chapter 27. Go back there. I can remember it here in Matthew chapter 27. I think it's interesting as well in verse number 19 in Matthew chapter 27. I talked about Pilate, but I also want to talk about his wife while he was sitting on the judgment seat. Verse 19, Matthew 27, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. 
I don't know how to fully explain that, but it was some kind of nightmare that she had because of Jesus. And she understood, no, there is something about this man. He is righteous in nature. Do not be a part of this. The people said good things and they said bad things about Jesus. And here it is here. I got ahead of myself. Pilate's wife suffered in a dream. There it is, Matthew 27. And we already saw this. There was darkness in the land for three hours. This is no ordinary death. He didn't die like the robbers did. He was dying for the sin of the world. And the veil of the temple in Matthew 27, verse number 51, was ripped in half. Split in half, certainly indicating the going away of that old covenant and something new ushering in access to God through Jesus Christ, who would become our great high priest. These miraculous events, no doubt, would catch the attention of those. At least it should have. And it should catch our attention this morning, brothers and sisters. Don't ever get bored with the crucifixion of Jesus. If you're bored, if it's not interesting, then shame on you and shame on me. We need to go back to this story. And we need to know it more than the true crime stories that we listen to on podcasts. This is the story of salvation. While there are museums of presidents in Dallas who were assassinated, nothing compares To this story. Jesus did not deserve this. I'm not saying the president did either who in Dallas. But I'm saying Jesus was innocent in every way. And yet this is what happened to him. A lot of details have been given today. But what is the point of details if they do not move us? Atheists can read the Bible and learn about these details. Agnostics can read the Bible and memorize these details for the sake of debates. Certainly, we need to know these details as well. But what do we do with these details? We often say that knowledge is what? Power. That knowledge is power. Brother in Christ told me, he gave a new line, knowledge is potential. And I like that. It's one thing to have this knowledge. But what are you going to do with this knowledge? Will your life be changed for the better? What do we do? Well, as Christians, we're born again. We're described as new creatures in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Our sins have been washed away. And so the cross, the crucifixion story, it should matter. Jesus died on the cross. I'm just going to pull all these up. I, I want you to see here that he actually died. All of these references here speak about the fact that he died on the cross. In John 19 and verse number 30, let me read that here to you. John 19 and verse number 30, Jesus, we see here, he would say his last words. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The body without the spirit is dead according to James 2 and verse 26. So we know from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he actually died on the cross and he accomplished the will of God. It is finished. 
Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are in the need or looking for more motivation in your life, feel free to check out my website, benjaminlee.blog, where you can find hundreds of encouraging motivational blog posts on a variety of subjects. You can find all of my books, which can also be found on amazon.com and other podcast interviews with a variety of people. I hope this helps. Please leave me a rating and a review. I can do and so can you. Take care and God bless. Thank you.